everyone. I'm Devin McDonald, a partner at OpenView, where I spend a lot of time talking to both aspiring and serial board members. This season on Build, we're talking about the journey to the boardroom. Each week, I'll speak with executives who will share their unique stories and insights to help you either consider what type of persona to bring onto your board if you're a CEO, and or help you think through what your path will be to get to the boardroom as an independent director. Now, on with the show. Today, we're joined by Elisa Steele, who's the CEO of Namely. Previously, she was the CEO of Jive Software, and prior to that, spent a number of years leading marketing at brands that you'd recognize like Microsoft, Skype, and Yahoo. Currently, she sits on the board of Splunk, and she is also the chairwoman of Cornerstone On Demand. Elisa, thank you so much, and welcome to the Build Podcast. So happy to be here. So I want to talk about the earlier days in your career. What did you want to be when you grew up? I think you never really know exactly where you're headed when you're thinking about what you want to be when you grow up, because I wanted to be just about everything. I changed my mind all through my early years. But what I found that I love to do is work with customers. And I started my career in sales and you know, did almost every job in sales and marketing and across the go-to-market stack. And I just really enjoy working with customers, helping solve their problems and being on a team. Excellent. So you, over the course of your career, have had some incredibly powerful roles at some of the world's top technology companies. Just to rattle a few off, GM at AT AT&T, CMO of Yahoo, CMO of Skype, CMO of Microsoft, CEO of Jive Software, and now CEO of Namely. How have these experiences really prepared you to become the board member that you are today? Yeah, I mean, the common theme across what I've done in my career has been about people, about building communities, building teams, doing things together. And I think as a board member and now a board member with experience in both private and public company boards, really what you're trying to do is help give guidance and ask good questions and develop a good dialogue with the CEO and the CEO's team. And so I think the experience of being in roles where it was so important to connect people and teams with technology to solve problems really gives you a perspective on how do you solve problems? How do you approach things? How do you approach challenges? And it really comes down to the fact that companies are effective based on the technology that they're selling and the people that they employ. And even if your technology is fantastic, think over the long term, you find out that if your people aren't fantastic and you're not building a company based on strong experiences of values and things that you believe in together, that falls apart too. So I've just come to the belief over all of those different roles and experiences over the years that at the end of the day, it's about the human factor. It's about people and how you approach things together. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's actually something that we talk a lot about at OpenView. I mean, for companies that we're investing in that are at the expansion stage, you know, they're bringing in mid-level management for the first time in many cases, and also filling in some of the holes in their executive team. And it's such a critical time for the business in order to get to that next stage of growth, you have to get the best of the best talent in there. It doesn't matter how good your product is. It's about the people. Yeah. And in today's world, it's about the experience a customer has. And the experience a customer has is a combination of so many different things. It's the experience with your product and does it work as promised? It's the experience with service and do the people respond and understand the needs of the customers? And it's their experience with your 
kind of way that you do business and how you approach your customer philosophy. And so you put all those things together and people have experiences today. And those experiences are what needs to be differentiated. And every company has their special thing that they want to produce and deliver to the market that drives that differentiation. So I think from a board perspective, you're not there to run the company. You're not there to operationalize. You're there to help govern. And then you're there to ask questions so that you can help the CEO be the best CEO they can be. Now, when you were in your executive roles at, say, Yahoo or Skype or or Microsoft, were you interacting with the board much in those early days? And did those sort of shape your opinions of boards? Well, it's an interesting question. You know, some roles more than others in terms of board interaction. And when you're in the C-suite, I think it's a very important part of your role to be able to share your strategy with your CEO, obviously, but also representing the team to the board and all the diversity of experience on the board. So I think what I found was that the board was an amazing resource to help give input and ask good questions about your plan. They're also usually people who have fantastic networks. So when you produce your plan or you present your plan, you tend to get feedback of, hey, have you met so-and-so or have you thought about this strategy that I saw this company do that I was also on the board of? And it tends to really help you think through your plan because you get these different points of view from all these experiences that are added up around that table. And I think that is hugely valuable. Makes total sense. At what point did you start getting the itch to be on your first board? I have to say, I don't think I ever had the itch per se, because I never really had it as a goal. Oh, I want to be on the board of a company. It was more of a natural extension as I went through my career and got exposed to boards that it became something that maybe I could add value to as well. And the first couple boards I was on were private companies who were looking for someone with the experience and skill set that I had from an operating point of view, because they tended to be smaller companies looking to do bigger things. And so that's the first way I got experience being on a board is it's a small company. They were looking for a board member who could help give feedback and input on an area of expertise that I had. But it grew into something, I think, much broader than that, because as you start to participate on boards and you see the horizontal nature and the need for integration across all of the different functions, you can add a lot of business perspective. And like I said, you can add a lot of experience from your network and from your own experiences. And so it's just sort of culminated into, oh, now I'm on a larger private board as the first independent director, or now I have my opportunity to join a public board because of the experience that I've had. So I think that it just keeps kind of building on itself. I never said, hey, I want to join that XYZ board. It just sort of naturally happened as my experience grew. So the most effective way to participate on a board is obviously helping represent the area of expertise that you have and ask the right questions so that you can help make plans even better. And it's so funny because you asked what were the early days of being exposed to boards. And one of the most critical experiences that I had early in my career presenting to a board was a full marketing plan for a company I was working for. It was the first time I was presenting to the board. It was a multi-million dollar, multi-year strategic plan. 
And oh my gosh, I prepared for this presentation. I bulletproofed this presentation. I tried to figure out what were the hardest questions I was going to get asked in this presentation. And what I didn't know at the time, and I'm happy to say that presentation went well and the project got funded and we went forward. And then four or five years later, I wind up interviewing for a job to go to another company. And the CEO of that company, who was the hiring CEO for the job, was one of the people in the room for that board presentation so many years before. And it was the only time I had interacted with that person. And so she had a perspective of me from that board presentation. And little did I know, you know, later in life, I'd be interviewing for a job with her. So these networks come together in ways you can't predict. And board members, as I said, they tend to have a lot of experience and connections across the industry. So it's not just an opportunity to be on a board, but it's also as a C-suite leader, every time you're presenting to a board, you never know where you're going to see that leader again. I think it's a great story. And I think it is so funny because in B2B software, it's a small ecosystem, right? So you never know who you're going to bump into. And I think it's very telling that you bumped into that board member again. And I think it's actually a good point to make in terms of networking out there and going out and spending time with people and going to events where you're making a great impression with potentially future hiring managers and future board members that you might be working with. So it's a a great point. Yeah. And I think one of the misconceptions of boards for both C-suite leaders and CEOs sometimes because I know I had the misconception when I first became a CEO, is that the board is the boss. And the board isn't the boss. The board is a resource. The board is a network. The board is a governing body. The board is a team to help the company be better. And so use those resources. Get to know your board members. Ask for their opinions. Get introduced to other people that they know of things that you're working on because it just makes you better. And a good board is a really good resource for you. Couldn't agree more. Would love to hear about how you proactively leveraged your network to find those initial, maybe smaller company board opportunities. Was it VC connections? Was it CEOs that you knew? How did those opportunities come to be? Well, in my case, I was a CMO of a couple of big brands. And when you have that level of visibility and companies are looking to scale, and they're looking for marketing expertise or strategy to help them get to that scale, you can get sought after for those types of roles because you have that level of visibility. But what I would say is there's so many, in particular, there's so many qualified women for boards in their area of expertise that don't have that kind of visible role who might not be sought after. And I feel so strongly that those people, and particularly women, should be out networking and helping people understand what they're working on because their skills and their talents are really needed. And there's so many boards that don't have the diversity of thought or the diversity of skill set that need it. And a lot of times, board positions aren't open and being formally and officially recruited for. A lot of private companies. If you're a CEO of a private company and you meet an executive or a leader that you think would be good for your company, you open up a board seat. You just decide to do it. 
And so it's so valuable for you to be out there networking with people and helping them understand what you're working on and what value you can provide because it's not always an official position that's open. It's funny you mentioned that uh, Scott Maxwell, who is our founder and managing partner at OpenView, one of his portfolio companies, he had told me recently, you know, you should make some board introductions to CEO X, maybe like some strong, really strong sales leaders. I think he could learn from these people as he's building out his go-to-market operation. And I said, oh, I didn't know that they had board seats that are open. And he said, well, no, they don't, but they're always looking for a potential future board member. So I think it's a very good point. Always. And if there's a company that you think you could provide value to or a CEO that you really have a lot of respect for, you know, figure out how you go meet that person or some of the people on that board because they're on other boards and CEOs and board members are always looking for your, just like you are in hiring in a company, you're always looking for your list of who would I bring on my board next if I opened another seat. Yeah. So you've had advisory board roles. You've been a board member, obviously, to a number of companies. You've been a chair to companies. How do these roles differ? And what are the benefits of an advisor role as opposed to a director or vice versa? Great question. Well, an advisor role is much more informal. I would say it's, it's more of a, hey, the CEO believes that you have a talent, skill, or experience that they could leverage in their company in some way, shape, or form. And you come up with an agreement of how you're going to contribute that skill or experience into the company. And that's on an ad hoc basis. And you agree to being a resource for the company, but you don't have any specific responsibilities as a part of a process. And um, an advisor position can be really great because you can get to know another company, another CEO, another executive team that you're not working with directly, but you can offer advice and input on that kind of like I said, ad hoc advisory way. When you're on a private board, that's even different than a public board. You're taking a seat. A lot of times, at least in my experience, because I'm not an investor, I'm an operator. I've been the first independent director on a private board because they're getting to the point where you know we've had investors on the board. That's been great. They're going to stay on the board. But we don't have anybody with an outside perspective who has operating experience as a CEO or another C-suite title that that company in particular could leverage. And so that's an opportunity to join a private board and help bring that next level of perspective to the boardroom, asking those questions and giving those inputs. And then as a public board member, you have even more formality in terms of what you need to do, because as you join boards of public companies, there are very certain rules and regulations and processes that companies have to follow to be in compliance. And there's committees that you need to participate in or that you need to join, whether it's the compensation committee or the audit committee, and you have key responsibilities to contribute to those committees. And then I would say the next level of board responsibility and probably the final level is if you're the chair of a board where you have the responsibility to work very closely with the CEO on what the CEO is trying to accomplish and then governing and inputting across all those committees that are working many, many times, particularly with audit and compensation, according to governance rules or SEC policy. And as a chair, as a chairman or a chairperson of the board, you're responsible to make sure all of that governance is happening 
and that you're seeking input and feedback all the time to make sure that the board is operating well. And all of those roles are just a little bit different with a little bit different responsibility. The chair role, is that the board, the entire board votes for you to be in that type of role? Or is that the CEO encouraging that? How does that typically pay out based on your experiences? It's not really a vote, but it's more of a process with the board and the CEO of who is the best candidate to play that role. And it needs to be someone who has that level of commitment to the board, is going to get to know all the board members, be a resource for the CEO, and many times be a resource to talk to investors or Wall Street of a public company if they want to talk to the chair about something. And you're responsible for the governance and the policies that get implemented at the board level. For the advisory roles that you have or have had, do those come about, would you say, organically? Or was that more there was an advisor role that was open and you were sought out to fill that type of responsibility? In my experience, the advisor roles that I've taken, I've, and I've had a lot of fun. I'm an advisor right now to People.ai, who has an amazing CEO, Oleg, who is driving great innovation. And we get to collaborate on ideas of how to continue to grow the company. I'm an advisor to Tile, which is a consumer product, to keep track of all of the things that you don't want to lose and use technology to be able to do that. I um, use it often. I would lose my keys every day if I didn't have it. So yeah, thank you for- <laughs> Tile is awesome. And I get to work with CJ and the other members of the team and thinking through ideas or if they have things they want to brainstorm together. And because you have areas of experience, like I said, that you can add value in, I really think advisor roles are actually a lot of fun because you can pick your passion of where you want to spend your time on that. And it's not as formal, like I said, as a board member and very calendar-oriented meetings that you have to attend. That being said, I enjoy my public board seats very much. Splunk is an amazing company with a great leadership team, and I enjoy that very much. And I'm the chair of Cornerstone On Demand, and Adam and his team are so passionate around the product and services that they're delivering to the market. And it's just a great business to be a part of. What advice do you have for an executive who is taking his or her board seat really for the first time and trying to balance between being an operator and a director? Because obviously, as you mentioned, it's a lot of responsibilities to have that seat, particularly if you're going to be on a public board. But boards in general, they are a time commitment. What are your recommendations? You know, if you're a first-time board member, my biggest recommendation is to be an active listener first and an active participant second. Just like anything new, you want to understand what's going on around you before you start coming to conclusions or generating recommendations. And boards, just like teams, have some kind of established norms or the way that they work together. And I think the best way for a new board member to be productive is to be an active listener, to get to know the board members outside of the boardroom, to make sure you don't walk into that first board meeting and you don't know anybody. You want to have coffee with everybody. You want to understand what their perceptions of the business are, what they think the challenges are, and make sure that you have asked a lot of questions so that you can take in a lot of the information before you start determining what you're going to put out on the table. I think it's a good point. I mean, the listening component and really trying to absorb all of the, not what's only being said, but just every dynamic that's happening in that meeting. But I do have a question for you. And I've asked this to some of the other guests that we've had on this season of Build. 
How do you establish your voice in a board that's, you know, maybe been around for quite some time and really trying to, you know, once you've been an active listener, really start to insert yourself and share your point of view? How do you, how have you found your voice? Yeah, I think first it's by asking questions. The questions you ask tend to be representative of the things that you want to help contribute to. And then the second thing is a board is generally not a very big group of people. There's no room for spectator sport. Yeah. You know, everybody needs to contribute. So I would say, you know, you have to just take your voice and make sure that you're being true to the things that you know about business, asking the hard questions. Every C-suite level executive is better when you ask a hard question because if they have the answer, that's great. And if they don't, then thank God you asked it before it went to market. So it always makes things better that you ask the hard questions. But also on the committee level, you have to contribute, like you said, you know, not just ask questions, but make decisions and make decisions that help the CEO run the company, that help support the executive team and what they're trying to do and help move their agenda forward. Some of the guests that we've spoken to this season have talked about different stages of companies that they're drawn to. Just recently, we had Bill Conroy and Steve Collins on talking about what stage they gravitate towards. So Steve tends to gravitate more to the pre-IPO stage company and and Bill's a bit more sort of earlier on, maybe expansion stage, as we call it. Where do you tend to gravitate? I know you've been sort of at a variety of companies, but where, where are you drawn to? I'll speak as a CEO, I think, to answer that question, because I have worked now for so many different types of companies. But I think Namely is right now what I would say is my sweet spot, which is they're on a growth trajectory. They've established enough to be a a standard Mm -hmm. uh, choice in the market for what they offer, but has not even become close to reach their growth potential yet. So yep. they're in between that stage of we're not really a startup anymore because you know we have over a thousand customers who depend on us. We're growing at a pretty fast pace. And so we're headed somewhere bigger and it's targeted to an underserved market that can fuel growth for a sustainable number of years. So that's kind of where I have just found to be just perfect for me, where established enough that you can build on it, but not so established that it's all fine-tuned. Mm-hmm. So now it's all about building scalability, driving repeatability, creating the process and the way that the company is going to grow from here on out. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. I would love to know... What advice do you have for a CEO who is bringing on his or her first independent director? You're obviously CEO of Namely, previously CEO of Jive. What advice do you have for folks who are in that position and and again, bringing on a director and trying to make the right decision here? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And when you're at the point where you're bringing on your first independent director, you're at that point where you have grown enough that you have operating needs in the company that are bigger than just building the tech. You've got to drive the right go-to-market strategy. You've got to have cross-functional dependencies. You've got to have much more operational efficiency or at least plans for it in the company. So my input would be, you've got to bring on your first independent director who can do two things. One, 
who understands the investor point of view and what they've been investing in, in terms of the promise of what that brand is about. And two, you want to bring someone in who has the right experience, who can be able to talk with the CEO and in the boardroom about those operational decisions. Because sometimes the investor plan and the operational plan don't exactly match up. And when you're adding your first independent director, that person tends to be the person in the boardroom that can bridge both of those points of view. And I would assume chemistry is a big component of that. I think chemistry is a big component of any team and a board is really a team that's working to govern the company and to support the CEO. So you want to join a board and you want to be a part of a board where that really matches, where your philosophy and your desire of what you want to drive to the goal is similar, but you definitely need diversity of thought and diversity of experience. And that's why you want an independent director, because you don't want all of the thinking in the boardroom to be investor thinking. You want some of that thinking to be operational thinking. And they're not always, like I said, they're not always going to agree. And you need the CEO to have that support and to have those different perspectives around the table. So my last question for you is kind of a a fill-in-the-blank Mad Libs uh, style question. You aren't ready for a board if... You're not ready for a board if you're joining it to help operate the company. If you're looking to get in the weeds, it's probably not going to be a good fit. Or even make operational decisions. You're on a board to support and drive the things we talked about and to, and to govern the company. But one of your most important jobs being on a board is to support and evaluate and be available for the CEO. The CEO is responsible for running the company. So it can get pretty bad if you've got board members who want to make decisions for the company or for the functions in the company and not give the CEO room to do that. That's the CEO's job. So I would say you can be on a board and and still be an operator in a different company, but you've got to be a quote unquote good board member by knowing where not to step over the line of trying to operate the company. Even as an investor can relate to that. I mean, with OpenView, we're minority investors, right? So we can't make decisions for the companies and we can't tell them what to do, right? It's about influence and encouraging and trying to make introductions and and be helpful at decision-making. So that's right. And enable the company, enable the company to be more successful. They could be, they would be without you there. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, this has been so, uh, so great today. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and and share some insights about your lessons and getting to the boardroom and congrats on an incredible career and congrats on the success of Namely. Well, appreciate the time. I enjoyed it very much. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening to podcasts these days. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can also follow us on Twitter at OpenView Venture and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.